Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. Well, convention would teach you and would teach any preacher that it's the Christmas season, okay? Uh, Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday. You preach in one of a couple of places. Maybe you go to Luke chapter 2. Uh, that passage that everyone uh, knows so well, you've heard read off of uh, Charlie Brown and uh, perhaps that's the place that you, you go to. Maybe you, you see when Jesus was first born, or maybe you go throughout Luke chapter 2 and you see the announcement of the angels of the birth of Christ to the shepherds who are out watching their flocks in the middle of the night. Perhaps a convention would say that you go to Matthew at the end of chapter 1, you cover that same territory, but you look at Joseph. And you look, at, uh, you look at how God brought Jesus into the world and how Joseph was an honorable man or, uh, and, and did not put Mary uh, away, uh, uh, did not seek to have her killed. Or perhaps you go to Matthew chapter 2 and you look at the wise men and their pursuit after the newborn king. Maybe if you're kind of on the outer limits of convention, you would go to John chapter 1, and you look at John chapter 1 and verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then maybe even on the outer, outer limits, perhaps you would go to some of the Old Testament prophecies. If you were really stretching it, maybe you'd go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. That time where mankind first heard the hope that would come to us, that even though we had fallen, God would provide through our line the Savior who would be Christ the Lord. Convention would say all of these things. But I'm a rather unconventional person. And so I would like to invite you today to join me in a very familiar passage to you. Instead of looking at the who or the what or the when or the how of the birth of Christ, to look at all of those characters, rather today I want to look at the question of why. And to that, I want to invite you to join me in your hearts and with your hands in your Bibles to John chapter 3 in verse 16. And I want to invite you to join me there. You will all probably be able to recite it. You know it. Perhaps we've memorized it in a little bit different translations. Don't let these different uh, translations uh, bother you too much. Most of these mainline translations that you've read say the same thing. Hear now the word of the Lord in John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we gather today to worship, as we've worshiped through the singing of songs of praise to you now, as we worship you by coming to your word and adoring you and get setting our eyes upon you, Father, I pray that you would give me the wisdom and the boldness and the clarity to say that which you desire to be said today. 
Father, for those who are in this room today or who are listening online, who are listening broken and their lives are in shatters, for those who are listening and are lost, I pray that today your spirit would intervene and would speak uh, into their hearts their need for Jesus and the salvation that you have provided for us. Father, as we look at the gospel today, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in all that's said and done, that you'd bring the lost to you and the saved would draw closer to you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Today I want us to see the why of the gospel. Of course, the gospel simply means good news. And today, uh, as we prepare to celebrate tomorrow the birth of our Lord Jesus, the church, those who are God's people, celebrate year-round, every single week, every single day, every single hour, we celebrate this good news of great joy that God has given to us. Tomorrow we celebrate that day specifically But I want us to examine today the why of the gospel. And we're in John chapter 3 in verse 16. I know that you you know this passage. You've memorized it. You've reflected on it so many times. You might as well just say, Josh, uh, let's just pray and dismiss. Amen. What a great sermon. I'm going to take just a little bit longer, although not too much longer. I want you to observe with me today, and I don't want our familiarity with this passage to be our foe, okay? I want us to examine it afresh today. Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, and I want us to see the why of the gospel. If you're taking notes, number one, I want you to see the initiator of the gospel. For God so loved the world. Whose idea was it to send Jesus to come to this earth, to be born of the Virgin Mary, to live a perfect life, to perform all of those great miracles, and then to die on the cross, and to be placed in a borrowed tomb, and to be raised three days later. Who do we have to thank? Who is responsible for this birth in Bethlehem? Now, there are only two parties mentioned in our text today. That is the parties of the pursuer and the pursued, the giver and the recipients. Notice with me that first phrase, for God so loved the world. Who began this good news of great joy that we celebrate today? Who initiated it? It is the Lord. Now, we oftentimes have uh, Willy Wonked this passage, you know, strike it, reverse it. And we've wanted to say, for we so loved God, for the world so loved God. But the truth is that the world does not love God. You can see that plainly today by the hatred that we have for his word and for his commands. It's open throughout the world, even within your own flesh. You notice it. There is this fight against what God has commanded, this flesh that wants to do your own thing and not do what God has called us to do. But I want you to notice who the initiator of the gospel is. There is God, there is the world, and God so loved the world. But who initiated it? It is God, our God. The gospel includes you, 
but it does not begin with you. In our sin, in our flesh, we have rebelled against God. There is no one immune from that. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And I really think that the mark of a Christian, the maturity, the mark of maturity for a Christian is not necessarily that they are completely perfect and without blemish in their speech, in their actions, but that they are people who are still come under great conviction for their sin. People who are profoundly aware of their fallenness and their need to rely upon Jesus and him alone. You see, at church, we don't claim to be good or great or perfect people. We claim to follow the only good and great and perfect one. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us of this initiation uh, that began uh, so many years ago. Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, would you join me there? Notice what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2. And you, he's speaking to the Ephesian church. He's speaking to us. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Notice with me today as we celebrate the birth of Jesus that God is the one who initiated the relationship with us. Amen and amen. We were doing our own thing. We did not long for him. We did not want him. We didn't even realize that we needed him. But the Bible says that our God pursued us. Our God loved us. He is the initiator of the gospel. It was his plan. It was not plan B. He didn't come to the Garden of Eden and see that he had failed in some way and then, and then was going to try to make things right. No, no, the cross was the plan all along, giving mankind the perfect place in the Garden of Eden. He knew we would still fail, and yet he still provided an avenue for fellowship and salvation Amen. for us. Amen. Praise the Lord. God initiated it. He came after us. You know, Sarah and I often talk, who, who was the one who initiated the relationship between us? All, uh, several years, this, uh, this May, we will celebrate our 15th anniversary. Y'all pray for her. She's under the weather today. She's running a fever, and so y'all pray for her. And I know there are several other people who are sick. We want to pray for them. But we often talk about who started the uh, relationship, okay? And so I, I met her. I was going to Arkansas State University in BB, all right? My, that's, that was what my grades could afford to let me go to out of high school so I could live at home. And so I was, I was going to Arkansas. Arkansas State University in BB. I was, uh, I was uh, currently in relationship with another young lady, and then I saw Sarah for the first time, and I said, oh, my goodness. I got to know Sarah. And so we'll, we'll sometimes say, who really initiated? It was me, by the way. I initiated the relationship, although I'm the, I'm the beneficiary of that relationship. I, I got the better end of the deal. 
Hey, but God. Thanks, Ronnie. You guys don't know how to amen in the right places, by the way. I got folks amening when I say I'm a wicked person. I got folks, there we go. Who initiated the relationship with us? Now, this is not an argument about whether or not we chose him. Most certainly, God gave us that ability. But you should know, first of all, that he pursued us. Amen. John chapter 3 and verse 16, we learn the why of the gospel. We see it rooted in the initiator of the gospel. For God so loved the world. Secondly, I want you to see for me, the motivator of the gospel, so loved. What motivated this divine initiation? Was it a sense of obligation? Did he feel some need? He wasn't happy in and of himself. The scripture teaches us that in eternity past, God it was in need of nothing, perfectly content, the Trinity together without anything. God does not, listen to this, God does not need your praise for his own satisfaction. Amen. Amen. He chooses to inhabit the praises of his people. He chooses to be delighted in that, but God does not need you or me. Amen. What motivated him? Was it just that he needed a relationship, that he was lonely? No, no, no. Uh, it, by the way, if it were any one of us, if we had created this beautiful universe, this world, and we sat back after seven days and said, wow, really, really good job. Did you see all those stars we created? I mean, we just, we said it like that, and there are millions and billions and trillions of stars throughout all of the galaxies we would sit back and we would look at the beauty of the, of the earth, look at the vegetation, look at the mountains, look at the ocean. It is absolutely beautiful. Look at all the animals we created. It, had it been us, we would have seen all those things and we would have made Adam and Eve and we would have put them in the Garden of Eden and we would have said, hey, I only got one rule, only one rule. Don't break it. Had they broken that, when they broke it, what would we have done? It is over. It is over. Do you see all that I just did for you? And if by some miracle, you and I in our flesh were to give just a little element of forgiveness and we're able to move on past that and still allow the creation to exist, it wouldn't have lasted past the flood, right? It's it. Uh, my dad always said, halls aren't quitters. Halls aren't quitters. So my mom signed me up for piano lessons. <laughs> I, I uh, went over it was across the street, Miss Mildred Warren's house, and she would tell my mom, uh, uh, Miss Hall, I think Josh really likes to talk more than he likes to play. <laughs> and I'd come up, I'd go home and I'd practice. My mom would make me practice and I'd say, oh, please, please, Mom, I, I'm not any good at this. I don't really want to continue. My dad would say, halls aren't quitters. I think it was shortly after our first recital, my dad said he would make an exception in this case. <laughs> A couple years later, 
My dad signed me up for baseball. I'm no good at baseball. My dad signed me up for baseball, and I would go, and I would play, and I would give it, listen, I would give it my absolute best. And about mid-season, I, would t I told my dad, Dad, please, please let me, this is embarrassing. You think you're embarrassed? I'm, Angels in the outfield had just came out. <laughs> And I remember praying to God that an angel would help me catch a ball or hit a ball or, you know, just get hit by a ball so at least someone would have sympathy on me. It never happened. I remember mid-season going to my dad and say, Dad, please, he would say, Halls aren't quitters. Dad, you signed me up for this thing. I didn't sign up for it. And I remember at the end of that season, Dad saying, you don't have to play next year. Thank you, Dad. I, continued that, I considered that my retirement from baseball that year after that season. You know, if any one of us had been in charge of creation, we would have quit a long time ago. Because you, even you, believer, who've been saved by the blood of Jesus, you've cried over your sins. You've asked God to forgive you of your sins. Even you who are most committed, who love him and spend time with him daily, you still fail. And you still, at times, deliberately fail. I do. I know you do. We deliberately fail. If we were in the place of God, we would have given up a long time ago. But what is God's motivation? For God so loved the world. Psalm 136 in verse 3 says, Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. What is the motivation for our salvation on the behalf of God? It is his divine love. It's a love that is unmeasurable. It is not a love that just loves those who are healthy and loves those who are wealthy and loves those who look good and who are admired by others. It's a type of love that loves the least of these, that loves the down and out, that loves the weak and the unable, that loves us. What is the motivation here? It's God's steadfast, never-ending love. Think about this. God has always existed. There is no beginning to God. God will always exist. There is no end to God. He is eternal, and his love is as eternal as he is. If it were anything less, you and I would have used it up a long time ago. But his love is eternal. We love him, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4. We love him because he loved us first. So today, we join with the angels celebrating that baby born so many years ago, we join with the shepherds who gathered around that manger. We gather with the wise men, and we are in awe of the love that Jesus has given to us, that God has poured out upon us. When we celebrate Christmas, the why of the gospel is we see the great love that God has for us, for the world, and it's salvation given to all who will repent and believe. 
Now, you can't force love. The Bible says that he draws us with cords of love. He doesn't beat us into submission in that sense, but the Bible says to us in Hosea chapter 11 that he draws us with bonds of cords. Have you noticed, perhaps, Here today, you've never asked Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life, and you've noticed that conviction in your heart to turn from your sins and to turn to him. God has every right to demand it right now, to demand that holiness and righteousness on your behalf. He has every right. He is the sovereign king of the universe. You and I owe him everything, every breath in our lungs, every heartbeat that we have. And he has every right to call us to the mat right now and to demand from us that righteousness and that purity. And when we can't provide it, he has every right to condemn us eternally in a place called hell, but he has chosen not to. His patience is not a sign that he is weak, but it's a sign that he loves us and is drawing us to him. And if today you've never repented of your sins and called upon Jesus as Lord, I want you to know he is at the moment being patient with you, drawing you because he loves you. And if you know him today, you know what I'm talking about. You know that he's drawn you with those cords of love. Even in your walk with Jesus where you have failed, you sense that upon you. He loves those whom he disciplines, whom he chastens. You felt that upon you. We've seen the initiator of the gospel, the motivator of the gospel. Now I want you to see the gift of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. He gave his only begotten son. And you think about that for a moment. And I don't know that we'll ever fully grasp the magnitude of this gift that we have been given. It's the greatest gift that has ever been given. This is the giving season. You're, you are prompted just by the lights and the, and the colors of the season to let this be a holiday of generosity, to give presents to others and to not expect things in return. Why do we do that? Well, it's kind of a rich tradition uh, much amongst Christian circles because at this time of year, when we celebrate the birth of Christ, we celebrate the greatest gift ever given. God giving to us, that word give in the Greek language means to give as an expression of generosity. Once again, he had no obligation, but because of his love for us, he gave us his pride and joy, the joy of heaven, the treasure of heaven. He poured out into that manger. The Bible says that God is the giver of Every good gift. Now, let's examine that a little bit closely. The, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, or his one and only son. There's no one else like Jesus. Amen. No prophets. All right? He's not one in a list of prophets. The scripture tells us that he is one of his own kind. 
the one and only Son of God. To look upon him, the Bible says, is to see the exact imprint of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. God poured out his only Son so that we might have life and fellowship with him. Who would imagine such a wonderful gift? Now, I, I love all of you in here. Some of you I, I know really well, and, and, and we have a really good relationship. I would, I would and I hope you would, t- I don't think I'd give you just about anything I could give you. You know what is the exception? My children. My wife, my, there's a lot of exceptions actually, okay? Don't come to me afterwards and ask for that blank check, okay? I would not give you my son. Boy, I, I look at that boy and uh, I see me. Some of you have watched children, you see me too in it. You watch the children in church, you go, my goodness, that's your son. The way he acts, the way he talks, he's learning to uh, become a little sarcastic. He got that from me, right? I I look at him and I see that. But you know what? Amidst all of the trials of parenting, you know what? I wouldn't give him up for anything that this world has to offer. I've told you this before. My dad always used to tell me, I don't call you son because you shine. I call you son because you're mine. I love that little boy. And nothing could change about that. I, I want, he's always mine. And yet the father had decided in his plan, in his love, to save us, to send his one and only son, and to give him not to the deserving, not to the people who had earned his favor, not to the people who were even partially cordial to him, but he came into his own and his own did not receive him. They loved darkness rather than light. They wanted their will, not his. And yet Jesus still came. And he lived a perfect life amidst all of this hatred. Can you imagine as Jesus was being beaten and laid upon the cross, him staring with those divine eyes into those who were nailing the nails into his hands, looking at them saying, I'm doing it for you. He says on the cross the most amazing words that have ever been spoken, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. They don't have, they don't understand the magnitude of what they do. Think about that. The father turning his face away as he cannot look upon his wrath being poured out upon his one and only son. I've said it time and time again. It wasn't that wood of the cross that held Jesus up, but it was those strong and broad, divine and human shoulders that held up the sin, uh, the penalty of sin for us upon that cross. Look at the gift of the gospel. Look at the sacrifice of the gospel. God sent his one and only son. You look at that manger and that little bitty baby and we celebrate. But it's a reminder that the manger uh, was filled so that the cross would be filled on our behalf. Oh, the gift of the gospel. Hey, my friends, if you get nothing else for Christmas this year, go home and think about that. I mean, just, there's no reason not to be happy when thinking about the great gift that God has given us, eternal life because of his son Jesus, which brings to me to 
our final point, which is the recipients of the gospel. For God so loved the world, that is the, the initiator, God. He so loved the world, the motivation for the gospel, that he gave his only son, that is the gift of the gospel. Now finally, the recipients of the gospel, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. Who are the recipients of the gospel? Well, I hope, I hope it's all of you who are in here today. Amen. Who are the recipients of the gospel? Well, you perhaps may believe, or you may have been led to believe, that it's just those who are good. And the Bible says that we've been saved by grace for good works. So there ought to be evidence of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. But the recipients of the gospel are not those who are good, but those who believe and receive. Those who have faith. It's not just a casual faith, all right? It's not just a, yeah, I believe there's a lot of folks who have prayed a prayer. They've perhaps been baptized in this baptistry back here who's made a profession of faith. They've said something with their mouths, but they never meant it in their heart. They never actually had faith and believed in him. But salvation comes to those who put all of their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good preacher. Praise the Lord, because that wouldn't happen. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good citizen. I'm not going to heaven because I'm able to have this amazing amount of self-control in all these areas of my life. No, no, no. I'm destined for heaven because I have received that which God has given. I have believed upon him and his son, Jesus Christ. And today that gift is offered to you. Not limited to just those shepherds who visited that little boy so many years ago or those wise men who traveled such a far distance to see him and to worship him. That gift wasn't just for the disciples who would spend the rest of their lives serving him. That gift is offered to you today. Amen. That if you will repent of your sins and you will call upon Jesus as Savior and Lord, putting all of your eggs in his basket, all of the faith that you have in him, the Bible says that you can have eternal life, life without end. Now, these bodies are going to give up. Some of you are already feeling that pain of these bodies wearing out. These bodies are going to. But Jesus says, if any man believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He proved it as he raised Lazarus. And then after he was crucified upon the cross, he proved the ultimate triumph three days later when Jesus Christ himself rose from the grave and promised eternal life to all who repent and believe. Oh, much, much, much to be merry about this Christmas. Oh, much joy to be had this Christmas. And you don't have to go much further than John chapter 3 in verse 16 to see that glory and that wonder. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. 
We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.